if we hear brooms from the, the basement, we know it's an emergency downstairs. Otherwise, we're going to have some time to study, study the word together. If you need a Bible, there's some on the coffee bar. Uh, I would encourage you just to have a real Bible in your hands. I know that phones can be convenient, but I also know that phones can be distracting. So if you can get a Bible, um, open it up to John 4. We're going to study together. Uh, John 4 is this beautiful passage uh, that captures a lot about the thirsting uh, of a lot of us. I want to welcome you to the Oikos Church. Oikos is a word in Greek that means home or family or your house. And it's a concept that we take really seriously here. It's what the, the culture we're praying for looks like. It looks like home. It looks like family. It looks like people in our house. And so we want to invite you into the Oikos Church today. Um, but I, I just look around, and if I get weepy just the whole time, please forgive me today. You can come back next week. I probably won't be as weepy. I've just been crying all morning because uh, for me and for my family, this is a really special day that's, that in, in one sense is the beginning of something, but in another sense is the end of a long journey that has led to this moment. Um, and we just see God's provision, his faithfulness, his goodness as we look back and we look at you and we're really grateful to him. We just give him a lot of praise for the victory of today. Um, we've got well-wishers here. You know, people are they're texting in, emailing from the West Coast and from the East Coast. They're from the Midwest, from the South. There's churches all over the country are praying for Oikos Church today and what is going to be happening in the city of Memphis. And we have people who drove in from out of town. We have people who drove in from in town, but who are really just here to kind of offer your support. Guys, I, I love you. I thank you for being here. It means the world to have you here. But then there's other people here who are here looking for something. You're searching for something. You're thirsting for something. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, he says that we're like broken cisterns. Broken cisterns. We don't hold water. And so when we get thirsty, there's, there's things we turn to to try to satisfy us, to fulfill us. The things that we're longing for that we look to. And he says the problem is the things that we turn to, they don't hold up. They leak. And so we have to keep going back to the thing, back to the thing, in hopes that this time is going to be different. Maybe you're here today because you've been to a church before and you hope this time is going to be different. Maybe these people are going to be different. This place is going to be different. Maybe this time it's going to be different for me. And let me just say that we are fervently praying that Oikos Church is, has a unique culture where you can be known and loved and you can be part of God's family in a real way, where you can experience the church as family. But I just want to stay on the front end that Oikos Church is not the thing you're longing for, but we know the one who is. And that's what I want to introduce you to today in John 4. Uh, there's a woman who's thirsting. She's longing and she's looking, and she's looking to belong, and she doesn't really even know it because she's looking at all the wrong places. And she meets the one who can satisfy that thirst. Um, we're going to kind of introduce... As, as Michael already has in our worship, we're going to introduce some of what makes Oikos strong and what makes us move, the, what's really important at this church. And so this is kind of an introduction. It's going it's to be a lot, potentially. I just hope you'll keep coming back. These are ideas, and these are lifestyles that we're going to continue practicing together. Um, I'm praying. We've already been praying for you, and I'm, I'm praying kind of even today that you may encounter someone here or something here that will keep you coming back so that we can help satisfy that longing uh, that only God can fill. John 4, let's start in, in, verse, in verse 7. 
Um, I'm going to have it on screen in the NIV, and I'm going to kind of walk along here. Uh, here's where it starts. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the, dis- the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let's keep going. We'll come back to that, that tension between them. Kira, you're just going to have to help me out. Um, let's go to verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for the drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This verse, verse 10, mark it in your Bibles, is really important. Uh, in verse 10, he's going to outline the next two big paragraphs. The first paragraph, 10 through 15, is all about the gift of God. And then the next paragraph is, who is it that she's talking to? This, this is really kind of helpful structurally. The Bible gives us a lot of clues onto what is most meaningful, and it does it through structure and repetition. So the first structure that we're going to be asking is, what is this gift? Where does it come from? What's it all about? And just simply, what is the gift? Um, he answers. That's exactly where he goes in the next verse. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Where can you get this living water? Kira, as I read a verse, just move forward with it, okay? Thanks. Um, This living water. What is this living water? So in, in this culture, living water meant moving water. Like, it's the difference in a pond, in a stream. One of them is moving. And so she's like, where in the world are you going to find living water around here? You don't even have a utensil. This is important. You don't have something to draw with. You don't have a jug to hook to this rope to sink down to the bottom of this. Are you actually claiming to be better than our father Jacob who dug this well? He knew the only way to get water. She's misunderstanding what he's saying. And his answer shows... He's talking about a different kind of water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Implicitly, yes. But he answered this way, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you see that, that phrase? It's repeated. Where's this water come from? It comes from Jesus. He says, I give it. I give it. Twice, he repeats it. What's, what's really fascinating is the subtlety of when you look at verse 10 versus verse 13. Look at verse 10, do you see it? This is the gift of who? It's the gift of God. And now, who is the one who's giving this gift of God? It's the man, Jesus. You see, what is implicitly being claimed here is that God is this man, Jesus. The gift of God, whatever this gift is, we'll look at it, is being given through this person. John is really clear about this in his gospel, that the God who made the heavens and the earth has become flesh. And in this chapter, we are beholding his glory as he talks to a woman. He is the only one who can give it. There's, there's the subtlety of the claim of the divinity of Jesus, but then you see the exclusivity of the claim. He's the only one who gives it. I am the one who gives it. It's not your ancestors. They can't give it to you. Did you know you will not be saved on the basis of your parents' faith? You will not be saved on the basis of your parents' faith. The good news is you won't be condemned on the basis of your parents' faith either. Jesus is saying you will be given this gift through me. I'm the only one who can give it. Let's, let's keep going. He says, 
I, I give this gift. It's this exclusive only through me. And then the water that I give, it wells up to eternal life. This is a really beautiful phrase. Um, this word well up, it's actually the word for jumping, for leaping. It comes from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35. There's this prophecy. He says, like, there's this desert, and God's going to just pour out living water, pour out living water into this desert, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. It's going to be a highway where the Lord is coming back to his people, and he's, he's going to do it through this water. It's going to be leaping up. Y'all remember the story in the book of Acts? Peter, he walks across this lame man, and the lame man is asking for money, and he says, I don't have silver and gold, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And what does he do? He, it says he leaps. The lame man starts jumping. That's this word. This word is a movement word. There's something that happens in us that moves us. It gives life and, and movement. But do you see, it, it wells up. It jumps up all the way to eternal life. This is the unique gift that only Jesus can give you, is the gift of eternal life. It is a gift that is in you now, and then it, it's tasted. But he says, it satisfies you enough here, but it really springs up and wells up into something even beyond this life. It's an extraordinary gift, this gift. What is this gift? There's a lot of clues in this text as to what this gift is. One of the clues is the Old Testament prophecies that he's drawing on. This living water. Well, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about living water, and he says it's, it's where the Spirit comes out. The Spirit is being poured out by God. There's another clue here, um, just... It's more than a clue. Um, will you go to the John 7 text? This is in context. If you just flip over like another page, maybe two pages, Jesus is having another conversation about, about people who are thirsty. He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, what's he talking about? Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal uh, That's the wrong verse. Chapter 7, all right. Yes. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this, what does he mean? It says it. He, living water equals the Holy Spirit. Living water equals the Holy Spirit. And he says it's a gift that's still to come because up to that time, the Spirit hadn't been poured out because Jesus hadn't yet been crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Remember, at the ascension of Jesus, he pours out his Spirit at Pentecost. That hadn't happened yet. And so Jesus is having this conversation with a woman saying, I can give you the gift. The hour's coming when I can give you this gift that you'll never be set. You, you just can't be satisfied until you have the Spirit living within you. The gift comes from Jesus the, the one who is God come to us, and the gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing. Now, at Oikos, what does this look like? One of our, our core values is to be a spirit-led movement, a spirit-led movement. And this really captures it because the spirit is the one who's giving movement and life. What we mean by that is that at Oikos, Oikos is a, it's a word that means house, it means home. But what's happening in this word in the New Testament is that it's no longer talking about the temple where God was. It's now talking about the people in whom God lives. That he says, I'm, I'm building you up into an oikos for the spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 2. 
it says you are God's spiritual oikos, 1 Peter chapter 2. It means that we are the people who are filled with the Spirit. And if we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is moving us into action, into the fruit of the Spirit, into love. Um, do, you, do you see, to be Spirit-led. So what that looks like for us is really to equip the family at Oikos, to be people who hear and do. The, the hearing and doing circle, we'll introduce it in a couple of weeks. To be people whose lives are filled with hearing from God and then obeying where he's leading us. We're trying to surrender everything. All our plans, they, they, they're born out of prayer. This day has been prayed over and discerned through the will of God, and we are seeking to be led by the Spirit. There's no other way. We are dust without the Spirit of God in us. But with the Spirit of God, we can be a movement of deep transformation by God's grace. All right, uh, next value. Let's take a look. Do you see where the Spirit leads into a new kind of identity? He's talking about the, the spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in verse 15, he says this. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink. You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I think this woman gets a bad reputation. Have you ever heard somebody preach John chapter 4? Almost every time we, we assume that everything that's wrong with this woman is her own doing. And I just want to push back on that. Um, if, you, if you actually study, especially like divorce in the ancient world, you'll know that divorce is almost entirely a male prerogative, not a female one. Women in this culture actually can't divorce their husbands. Now, you might be able to talk your husband into divorcing you, but you see that they're essentially powerless in most relationships. There's inheritance laws that, that forbid women from in passing on, and so they are dependent on men, to be married to men, to have male heirs. But this woman seems to have had tragedy after tragedy, perhaps abuse after abuse, leading her into the situation that she's in. Now, sometimes people will say, look, she's coming at 12 o'clock. She shouldn't be drawing water at 12 o'clock. Maybe so. But if, if what Jesus says about four months through the harvest is true, this is actually winter time, January. People will say, and you've probably heard it if you've been around churches, that, you know, in the heat of the day, what's she doing in the middle of the day drawing water? It's like the high that day is probably like 65 degrees on average. I looked it up. It's like... 65 degrees. I want to go that time of day rather than when it's 45 degrees. So our, our reasons for kind of blaming this woman, no, are we just trying to entirely excuse this woman? Of course not. Um, I think there's this web of trauma that then trauma has a way of kind of distorting our cycles and our behaviors so that we end up doing things that we don't really want to do and we end up staying in cycles that we don't want to be in. Here's a woman who Jesus, she wants to know, who are you? You remember verse 10, it says, the gift of God and who it is that ask you, then you would ask him for living water. Now we're to the section where she should be trying to figure out who are you. But here's the really wonderful thing about knowing Jesus. The, really, the only way to know Jesus is, it, it comes through self-knowledge as well. John Calvin, um, he starts his institutes with this. He says, like, the only way to know God is to know yourself. The only way to know yourself is to know God. If you want to know your real identity, you have to know the one that you're speaking to here in John 4. Jesus has a way of knowing her identity. 
She says, I'm a woman. I'm a Samaritan. You can't be talking to me. Do you see how her identity actually separates her from the people around her? She knows it. They know it. Everybody lives by these rules. Our identity markers are distinctions that keep us from one another. They can be. But Jesus has a way of seeing into her true identity, knowing her, and, and still loving her. You know, it's amazing uh, just how known she is. There's this scene. Have any of you ever heard of The Chosen? It's a, it's a TV series um, that walks through the life of Jesus. And at the end of season one, it's available on Amazon Prime. Here's a quick commercial. Um, season one is available on Amazon Prime for, for free if you're a Prime member. Um, there's this beautiful scene where he meets her at the well, and she's weeping. Because Jesus is telling her about what she's done and about the men she's been with, about the highs and about the lows, about the things that happened to her and the things that she did. And she says, people have rejected me. You've chosen the wrong woman. People have rejected me. And he says, I know, but not the Messiah. You see, this identity isn't one where he just turns a blind eye to who she is. It's where he intimately knows who she is and loves her. If we keep reading this section, it really bears this out, that her identity starts with go find your husbands. I know that part of you. But then look where it goes. Let's just uh, read a few of the next few verses here. Um, Believe me, woman, a time is coming. By the way, we could just say madam. Madam sounds a little more polite in 21st century. It means basically the same thing. So (laughs) believe me, madam, woman. Woman? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. She's, she's like, where should we be worshiping? Where the Samaritans worship or where the Jews worship? And he says, no, there's a day coming when it's not about the place. It's about where the Spirit is. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now it has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you hear that word being repeated? Worshipers, worshipers, worshipers. This is a clue in in our, our text. When a word is repeated, this is an important one. But guys, this woman couldn't be a worshiper at the Jewish temple. There's, there's some really terrible things that Jewish rabbis said about Samaritan women in the first century. One of them, among many, is that they are menstruants from birth. Yeah, I don't even want to explain. Uh, Let's just say they're unclean, and they can't do anything about it. They're not unclean because of something they've done. They're unclean because of someone that they are. They don't belong. They cannot enter into the temple, let alone a woman. She can't enter into the temple, but especially a Samaritan woman. But Jesus says, the Lord is seeking you, A Samaritan woman, I came here for you. You were alone at this well. It's just me and you. This is no accident. I was seeking you. The Father is seeking a true worshiper, and he has come to you. And I know your your story. I know your part in that story, and I know the burden, the oppression, the trauma of that story as well. And you, let me show you your true identity. This is... This is really beautiful. It keeps going, though. She's not quite there with Jesus just yet. 
the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Let me say it like this. We only come to find our true selves in discovering the identity of King Jesus. We only discover our true selves in discovering his identity. Oh, he's, he's the Christ? He's the anointed Messiah? And then I am he. It's literally ego me. I am. The God who can give the gift of his Holy Spirit is standing before her saying, I am seeking you. We're seeking something here. You came to that. But I want you to know that the Father is seeking you to be a true worshiper, to live with you, to be in you, to make you his oikos. Whether or not you join oikos church, he wants you to be his house where his spirit can live. He says spirit and truth. Now, a lot of us think, well, that means heart and mind. Let me, let me tell you, it doesn't mean heart and mind. I'm sorry. I'm going against probably every sermon you've ever heard in John 4. Um, spirit doesn't mean heart. Spirit means spirit. <laughs> He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Guys, First John 3.20, our hearts condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. If you think that it's your purity of heart that makes you stand before God, you're wrong. It's only God who makes us stand. His, his purity, his holiness is not something that we earn up to and, and perform in our worship on Sundays. His holiness is a gift that we are saints called to be holy because the Holy One dwells in us. He, he wants worshipers, and his Holy Spirit is the only one who can make us fit to enter into his presence. And truth, now if you know the Gospel of John, you know what Jesus says about truth. I am the truth. In John 17, he says, the, the logos, the, the word, he says, your word, the logos is truth. Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? And the, let the reader understand, he's standing right in front of you. If you want a true worshiper, the only way is to go through Jesus and to be indwelt by his spirit. That's the only way to be a true worshiper. He's saying Samaritan worship, Jewish worship. You may have the book, you may have the history, you may have the ancestry, but if you don't have the Messiah, you don't have the identity. What we mean by renewed identity is the second value at Oikos Church. Renewed identity, it, it means what we've sung, that you are who God says you are, and that even in our, our mistakes, we are known and loved and sought after. And we together are going to equip and work towards being known by one another so that we can be known by God and so that we can live out our true selves, our new selves in Christ Jesus. Look where this identity leads. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. Remember, they went in town for food. Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Why do we just go into town? <laughs> they're, they're so confused. We just made us walk into town. But notice what happens. Then his disciples said to each other, 
Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, just get the scene. They were just walking into a Samaritan village in order to buy food. They just went into a Samaritan territory, left, and they've come back to Jesus. Now, what has the woman done? While they're talking, she goes back to the village, and what does it say the Samaritans are doing? They're coming back to him. He's like, you guys, you missed it. The field was right there in town. And now the field is coming. Look, look at the fields. As all these Samaritans are pouring out from the village who are trying to see, could this be the one? Could this be the Christ? There's something blocking them from seeing these people as an opportunity to, to receive the gift of God. The disciples show us that gender is one. Why is he talking to a woman? Gender is a barrier that keeps us from embracing the fullness of the family of God. But it's not the only one here. Even the woman knows, I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. There's this ethnic background. But in that ethnic background, there's also this theological difference. These three are pretty big. And they're all right here in John 4. Gender, ethnicity, and theology keep the people of God from embracing one another in the fullness of God's family. Those three, those are big challenges. There's a lot of history here with the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans were the northern kingdom of Israel. They were once in the tribes. They were the the northern kingdom. They were conquered by the Assyrians. And then the Assyrians imported foreign people into that land and they intermarried. Almost out of necessity. They were imported. They, They were subjugated. They were slave people who were forced to intermarry with others. But because of their intermarriage, they were no longer fit to to come down south and to worship in the temple. In fact, whenever they wanted to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans came and they said, we would love to help you. We love your God. We worship him too. Can we help? And they said, no, you're unclean. You can have nothing to do with us. And so the Samaritans said, well, we're going to build our own temple then. And then when Israel finally won their independence, they went down and they destroyed the Samaritan temple. There's little kind of acts of terrorism and then counterterrorism that are going on in these warring people groups. And guys, I think a lot of this actually maps on to United States history of imported people, enslaved people, who were looked down on by the dominant culture. I mean, African-American slaves. It creates this new people group, African-American, with this slave ancestry, who are now looked down on, and then it's reinforced through these awful treatment and catastrophes and traumas. It, it maps on pretty well. But what we see here is that if the Spirit is in us to give us that new identity, the new identity paves the way to an open embrace in the family. But it's going to be counterintuitive. Sometimes gender gets in the way of us seeing somebody as a brother or a sister, somebody seeing a a recipient of the grace of God and his gifts. Sometimes ethnicity can do it. Sometimes theology can do it. Now, there are issues that are core to the faith and are essential. And then there are other issues. (laughs) And sometimes 
we've got to recover this sense of secondary importance and then tertiary importance. Because there are things that keep us from embracing the partnership in the family of God. When we talk about beloved family, which is the third core value of Oikos Church, what we mean is that God gets to set the terms of his family. And he has set a multi-generational family of the older generations on down to the little ones. That's why we worship together. And he's established a multi-ethnic family. It's not only Jews and Samaritans. It is every tongue and every tribe and people and nation and tongue. It's a multi-ethnic family. And then it's a multifaceted family. We see this in this text too. He says there's different roles in the kingdom. Some people are sowing. Some people are reaping. Some people have this job. Some people have this job. And at Oikos, I don't know if we're going to be a sowing church or a reaping church. I, I don't know that. But I know I trust in the one who is the Lord of the harvest. Uh, he's he's going to take care of it. This beloved family is this really difficult vision of what it looks like um, for the people of God to live out a faithful witness. I don't think there's any other way to be a faithful witness in a city like Memphis. That's our prayer. That's what we're aiming at. May the Lord make it so in Memphis to the ends of the earth. Beloved family, he says, everybody has this job in the kingdom of sowers and reapers. But then, here we go to verse 39. So many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And I've never noticed this verse. Do you see what Jesus does in verse 40? He stayed there two days. He has this mission of the kingdom of God, and he's got to go out all Judea and Galilee. And he's got to end up back in Jerusalem. And here he is, for the first time, showing his true identity as the Messiah in a Samaritan village. And he stops, and he waits, and he spends time with them. He goes to their homes. He shares a table with them. He has his presence there. But his presence leads to his proclamation. Because of his words, many more became believers. Do you see the emphasis on, on both presence and deeds, but also proclamation and words? Both of them. You, you cannot do gospel ministry without words. And you cannot do gospel ministry without presence. What we mean by holistic ministry, our, our final one, and I know I'm almost done. What we mean by holistic ministry is a ministry that's for the whole person. It's words and deeds, and it's for the whole world. The whole person for the whole world, the whole gospel, word and deed. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus' disciples. That's the way that the kingdom of God takes root in hearts and then in cities to the ends of the earth. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Savior of the world is a really cool um, phrase. It's the phrase that the Caesars use to talk about themselves. Uh, they have inscriptions that say, this is the Savior of the world. What they mean is that I'm, I'm in charge. I'm king. But the Samaritans come to realize that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king, is actually the Savior of the world. They can put their trust in a politician, but here's the true king. Here's the true king. And when they realize who the real king is, all of the other falls into place. The spirit-led movement, the renewed identity, the beloved family, and the holistic ministry.
Um, guys, I, I want to invite you into the life of Oikos Church. Oikos Church is not the thing that will satisfy your thirst. The Spirit of God is. The Spirit of God is the gift and is given only through Jesus. And so the invitation is to come follow Jesus with us. Come follow Jesus with us here. Come back next week. Um, if you're looking, if you're thirsty, if you're hungering, if you're longing, we need to know we would love to have you into our home. This past year, my, my family, I stepped away from a, a preaching ministry and into this call of church planting. And one of the things we did initially was to just go visit kind of other kingdom outposts, what it's like in other churches. And I've got to tell you, it, it's pretty lonely to go to a new church. Um, I've, I've been in your seat. Um, it's, it was even worse when everybody was distancing, you know, masked up, distancing. It's like, does anybody even know if I'm here? Does anybody care? You go into a room and it's just like I'm invisible until my kid does something embarrassing and then everyone's staring at me, which happened. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell that story another time. Um, I, I know what that feels like, that the loneliness, the, the longing to wanting to be known, but not. We truly want to know you. Uh, and we want to invite you into our home. Um, we have a ministry we call Open House, and we want to open our homes um, and share a meal with you and listen to your story. And if there's a lot of people who want to do Open House, that's great. Um, we're not going to just put everybody in the same house. We're going to have a, a lot of those environments where we can actually listen to you, get to know you, where you can feel the, the love of God through his people. But a lot of you are already committed to Oikos Church, you were part of a launch team, and you, you've agreed that this, this is something that I, I want, at least for the next year. That's the commitment we asked for. Let me tell you that in February 13th, that week, we're starting welcome home groups for this kind of first wave of people who've already committed. Now, if you're like, well, I'm brand new. Can I do welcome home? Yes, but it, your group's probably going to launch a few weeks later. We've got a great curriculum where we're going to start being in homes together around tables together, with Bibles open, kind of hearts open as well. That's what it's going to look like to be a part of a spirit-led movement of renewed identity, beloved family, and holistic ministry at, at this stage of where we're at in North Coast Church. Um, we invite you, would you follow Jesus with us? Uh, let me go back to the gift, and then I'll, I'll wrap up. Jesus says, I have this amazing gift. It's a gift of grace. It's not something that you earned. Uh, it's, it's not something you could earn. It's entirely grace. It's for everyone. It's for anyone. Anyone who's thirsty. But that doesn't mean that this grace is without cost. He says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and let him drink. Let me tell you that if you knew the one who was speaking to you, you would say, give me living water and then you'll never be thirsty again. How could this be? Fast forward in the Gospel of John, John 19. Jesus is hanging on a cross. An innocent man, the, the king of the world, the savior of the world, is crucified. And it says that as he realized that the will of God was finished, he spoke this word. He says, I'm thirsty creator of the cosmos, the savior of the world, the king who came to his people to rescue them. He thirsted so that we might be satisfied. 
He suffered so that we might have life. He went to the grave so that we could have eternal life. Do you see the exchange? It's not, it's a free gift for us. It's a costly gift for him. It's the only way that makes this happen. We've already remembered at the table, we proclaimed the death of the Lord. But because of that king, this grace can transform us into a people who are ready to transform the city to the ends of the earth. Only because of that king. We give him praise. We give our God praise in the name of the king. Let me end with just a, a quick benediction. This is 2 Corinthians 13. Let me just pray this for you real quick. May the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're dismissed.